All right, let us uh, open the word of God together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. So in this series, we're, we're talking about building, and what we're building is um, we're building back some of the things that, that have kind of deconstructed over the past year, and we're building back things that, that should be there anyways, but at times we lose a bit of that foundation, and we find ourselves um, kind of staggering, kind of uneven when we lose that. And so we're building back prayer. We're bu- building back our engagement with the scriptures for ourselves. We're building back community and trying to get back into what does it mean to have meaningful community amongst our church family and beyond that, and um, in this part, this final part of our series, we're talking about blessing, looking at the world around us and saying, God, thank you so much that you brought us together as a church family. Thank you that you've redeemed our souls. Um, And also, Lord, recognizing that he is going to fill us up and flow out that blessing to the people who are hurting, the people who are um, living and we're sharing life with outside of our church family. Um, So last time we looked at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And to me, that's just such a challenge to look at that, the idea of a simple act of love, a simple act of seeing somebody in need, and and the impulse is not necessarily to convert somebody, right, but just to be there in that moment of need and be a blessing. And Jesus is holding that up as this example of just love the person that you encounter. When you see somebody in need, love them, pour grace on them, be a blessing to them, and that's what Jesus is calling us to. Um, In this passage, I want to, this week, I want to talk through Matthew chapter 9, and, um, and Jesus calls us, he says there's this great harvest, and he calls us into that harvest. And so I want to look at how fervently Jesus believed in that, what Jesus' plan was for that, and also talk through practically what it looks like. Now, I want to I start here. Um, I want to start with a, a different passage. This is Luke 6:40, And Jesus is, is teaching, and he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So I, I love this idea of Jesus saying, look, this is like a disciple is going to end up being like his teacher. So if we're following Jesus, we're going to end up being like him. But I think often we're kind of vague on what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? There's all kinds of things that I think we kind of throw out there and that we um, explore as the answer to that. But this morning as we go, I want us to see clearly, I mean, what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He was acting a certain way. He was living a certain way. Um, definitely to like forgive our sins and redeem us. That was definitely a huge, massive part of it. But also he was showing us, what does it look like? If you're going to be my disciple, this is what it's going to look, this is what it means for us actually to be disciples of Jesus. We're going to see that this morning. And so I want to just put this up here so that it's on our mind as we walk through these verses. Now, here's the verses. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Pretty short passage for us, but man, it's so good. So Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. All right, simple passage, full of metaphors. There's a couple of metaphors that he uses. But where he starts is, is with this concept that is so, so vital to what God is trying to do in the world. He starts in verse 35. It says that Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, 
and healing every disease and every affliction. What Jesus was doing in, in this passage, and we see it kind of throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see it throughout the New Testament, Jesus is proclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom of God, the good news that God's Kingdom has arrived. And as Jesus is going about living his life, sometimes we, we use the word Kingdom in church, we use it in our Christian circles, but we don't think through the implications of what does Kingdom actually mean? What is he doing? So Jesus is living in the midst of this world, and, and he's, he's living out. What is God trying to do in this world? He's ultimately, he's building a kingdom. So we saw that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was, there's a li literally a kingdom. Like, he calls um, King David, right? He calls, uh, uses Moses to lead his people out. They become this king, this kingdom. He gives them King David, ultimately, who's like the high point of this rule. And so they are a kingdom. They're a group of people living under, ultimately, the reign of God and functioning in the way that God called his people to function in the midst of this world. So if you came from these pagan nations and you came into the kingdom of Israel, you were living according to God's rule. And worship of God was central to all that. And you were treating each other with fairness and kindness, right? There's these laws about how to love God and love each other, right? You couldn't um, extort people with taxes and all this kind of stuff. So if you lived in the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, you were supposed to be able to experience God's intention for humanity, and of course, Israel is no different than us, and they failed in this, and they kind of did end up extorting each other. They did forget to worship God, and they went after their own things. Um, but God's kingdom was this thing that was this, like, longing that people experienced at one point. They lost it. They went into exile. And by the time that Jesus is coming back on the scene, he's announcing to them, hey, there's good news. Repent. Get, get yourselves ready because the kingdom of God is at hand. In all of Israel, all these Jews that Jesus is going to would have been hearing that and saying, okay, the kingdom is back. This is what we've been longing for, right? We lost our kingdom. We were carried into exile, right? These, these um, foreign powers, Assyria and Babylon, took us over and carried us off. They've been longing for the day when the kingdom would return and they'd be brought back to live as God's people, as a king with a kingdom. And so Jesus, it says, as he's doing all these miracles, as he's healing people, he's proclaiming, he's teaching in their synagogues, and he's proclaiming there's good news, there's a gospel, this, this kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has finally arrived, and he's announcing it's coming, it's here. I think this is why um, th there's a bunch of stuff kind of in the following section. If you bleed into chapter 10, it lists out the 12 disciples. And it's interesting that there's 12 disciples, right? Because in the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel was made up of 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus says, like in the beginning of chapter, chapter uh, 10, he's sending them out and he says, um, you're going to go only to Israel. Like, don't, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to all the nations. Go only to Israel. And the idea is he's rebuilding this kingdom of Israel. He calls 12 and they're to represent these 12 tribes. He's rebuilding his kingdom. And, and what is he doing as he rebuilds the kingdom? He's calling them in. He's beginning to do for Israel what he always promised that he would do for Israel, restoring them, healing them, bringing them together under this, um, under this kingship of ultimately God. And Jesus is standing there, the head of these, these new sort of 12 tribes of Israel, these 12 disciples. And he's saying, I'm using you to kind of rebuild this kingdom, this kingdom that I'm going to do. It's, it's a picture of ultimately, it's a picture of humanity that's, that's made whole, right? It's a picture of humanity where, where, you know, you look out and you just see how all of our earthly kingdoms are doing. And it's not great, right? 
You look at any nation in the world and you think it's not great. And I, I love America, but we've had a rough go of it lately too, haven't we? And so it's looking at all the kings in the world and saying, you know what, every, ultimately every single one of these is going to disappoint you, right? Ultimately, we can't really govern ourselves. Ultimately, you know, we, we even start with our, our friends' circles and even that disintegrates over time. We start with our own family units and even that disintegrates over time. And so the idea is, I mean, we keep blowing it, we keep messing up, we keep floundering, we think we've got it figured out, but we don't. And Jesus comes in to say, no, there's another way. There's this kingdom, and I'm building it. And he, so he's proclaiming it, and as he does, he doesn't just talk about it, but he goes up to people that are sick and they're hurting, and he heals them. He goes to people that are, um, that are mute, they can't talk, people that are deaf, they can't hear, and he helps them to see and to hear again, right? He takes people that are marginalized through things like leprosy, and he heals them and brings them back in. He's coming to humanity and saying, I'm here to bring wholeness and health. And so he's announcing the kingdom of God, and it's for everybody. It, yes, it starts with Israel, right? But ultimately, we know it's for everybody. And he's bringing them in and showing them there's something so much better. Now, the, as, as he goes on from there, this is what he does. He gives, he gives us two metaphors that show us the way that God looks at the people around us. So verse 36, when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So when Jesus is standing there and he's looking out over the people, what does Jesus see? He sees himself as a shepherd, and, and he stands there as a shepherd seeing these people as these sheep. And he says, man, I see them. And I mean, you can imagine, right? Jesus is God coming to us. You can imagine him standing there and, and feeling anger, right? Like, like he's just so angry at all the ways that they've rejected him. You could see him feeling power and he's going to order them, instruct them. What does he see? He's a shepherd and he sees these sheep and he sees, man, they're hurting. He has compassion. His heart's breaking for them. They're harassed and they're helpless, right? They're being oppressed. They're, they're depressed. They're just, they're just being tossed around. Everybody's like mistreating them. They're mistreating each other. And he just looks at the people and he sees, man, my heart is broken. And this is so good for me to remember from time to time because we have a tendency, I think we all do, no matter what group we're part of, we have a tendency to look at people that are other, that are different than us. And, and to see kind of myself, my group, the people that I want to surround myself with, and these are the good guys, and those are the bad guys. We, you know, if you're Republican, you look at Democrats like, how could anybody, right? And the, the opposite is true. If you're Democrat, you look at a Republican, you can, how could anybody be there, right? If, if you're the person that's still wearing your mask diligently, you're like, how could you ever take off your mask? If you're on the other side, you're like, how could, so there's all these things, right, that we, we, we like, we look at the people and we just think, ah, oh, you're different than me. No, but Jesus looks at people that are different. People look, people outside and he says, these are just people that are hurting, Right? And I, I think this year, the gift of this year maybe is that I think we're starting to realize that. I think we were er, like kind of angry early on. I've been tempted towards that a lot. But I think we're starting to realize, oh man, we're all just hurting, aren't we? None of us really has figured this out. Some of us are more certain than others on different points, but we're all just people that are hurting. And I think we can begin to see the people around us the way that Jesus does. You look at a, you look at a, a Christian, you know, you look at a Buddhist, you look at an atheist, and you can see, okay, man, here's their ideological beliefs and differences, or you can look at them and see with compassion, man, these, these are just human beings, right? And they're hurting and they're helpless, right? They're tossed around, whether we're Christian, whether we're not. And you start to look and see people from a little bit different light, and it becomes less about who's playing for which team, and it begins to be about, man, my heart is breaking in the same way that I think Jesus looked out over these people and saw 
just a bunch of sheep, you know, that needed healing, that needed protection, that needed guidance, that needed so much. And so the question for us is, man, when we look at the people around us, can we learn, can we begin to kind of soften our hearts and begin to see people in the way that Jesus sees people, primarily with compassion, primarily with love? So then, then uh, Jesus is still standing there, and he sh- shifts the metaphor for us, okay? So first he's sheep looking at, he's a shepherd looking at his sheep, and then it says in verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So you picture Jesus still looking out over the people, and he sees these crowds of people, right? And his first, um, the first thing he sees is he feels compassion. He's a shepherd looking at all these lost sheep. And then he turns to his disciples, and he's still looking at all these people. And he just says, you know what? And the harvest is ripe, right? The harvest is plentiful. Look at this incredible harvest, but there are so few workers who are willing to go out into this harvest. So he shifts the metaphor, and now he's not a shepherd looking at sheep. Now he's a farmer who, who has right, planted all these seeds, who has this massive crop just ready to go. And he's saying, I just, I just need people to harvest, right? I just need workers to go out there and bring them in, right? In the same way that the shepherd looks at the sheep, we've got to gather them in, we've got to protect them and guide them and care for them. He's looking out and he's saying, man, this harvest is ripe. It's ready. Who's going to go and get it? And so what, what makes the harvest? I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think sometimes as I'm processing this idea of blessing, okay, God sends us out and I'm thinking, okay, what are the best passages to talk about, to talk about this blessing that God wants us to do for the world? And what I was realizing as I was trying to do that is it, it's just everywhere. Like it's assumed in everything in the Bible that God is a God that is reaching out to the people that are not part of the kingdom, that are not part of the family yet. He's constantly, incessantly, reaching out. So he's saying the harvest is plentiful. How did it get that way? How did it become this massive harvest that's ready to be brought in? You don't have to look, you can look like throughout scripture, like Psalm 19 talks about how the heavens are declaring the glory of God, which means that God made things in such a way that he's constantly shouting to everybody around us, there is a God and he's full of glory and he's created you. Can't you just see it? Ecclesiastes 3 talks about how God has made human beings with eternity in our hearts. There's like this kind of hole in our hearts that we're longing to see something. We know that something is missing. And so there's this, so constantly God is just pointing to people like, look, that thing that you're missing, it's me. Constantly he's proclaiming that. In, in uh, 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 where is it? It's in... Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, God talks about how um, God sends his reign on the just and the unjust, you know? Like he does good things, like he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. Constantly, God is just being benevolent, being kind, being gracious to the people. It doesn't matter if you live for him or not. Constantly, there's God's grace being poured out, and we can see it. Romans 1 talks about how God has, like, made clear to them this knowledge of God through the things that have been made, his eternal power, his divine nature. Everybody can see it, so constantly, God God is speaking to people, to all of us about himself. Romans 2 talks about how God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's all throughout the Bible, all of these calls to where God is constantly sowing these seeds. That parable of the sower, it's God just constantly throwing out these seeds, and he's saying, look, I have for all eternity been planting these seeds in the hearts of human beings. It's all there, all around you, and if you could just look and see this harvest field that I'm seeing, Man, you were, your heart would break and you would say, Lord, let's get workers to work this, to bring it in because the harvest is ready. 
I don't think the disciples would have believed that there was a, ri- a harvest ripe for the picking at the time. And I, I don't think that I believe it, if I'm honest. So for the disciples, they're there, and they're the Jewish nation. It's all fragmented. It's all broken. They're waiting for the Messiah to come fix it. And the people around them, man, it's a bunch of Israelites, and they all considered each other pretty unfaithful, right? The Pharisees thought the Sadducees were unfaithful and vice versa, right? They looked at the Herodians, and they thought they were unfaithful. They looked at the Zealots, and everybody was just pointing fingers at each other like, no, 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 you're not doing it. So they looked at each other in these, these factions, and then beyond that, you look at the nations, you look at Rome, and they're occupying Israel. And so Jesus, as he's talking about, man, look at this harvest. It's ready to be brought in. I think the disciples would have looked and said, Jesus, I just see a bunch of people that, that hate you, right? The people that hate me, people that are not like, I think they would have looked at it and said, are you kidding me? There's a harvest here? I mean, when I look at, when I look around um, at the world around me, I, I think all the same things that I think, you know, we all believe, or a lot of us do, like, Man, our culture is so far from God, isn't it? You know? Like, you, you look at, like, what's happening in politics. You look at what's happening in, in education. You look at any area of life um, in the entertainment industry. You look and you say, man, this world is a pretty dark place, you know? It feels like it's getting pretty rough. It's getting pretty bad. And so could I believe, could I stand here with Jesus and look out at the crowns around me and instead of being like, God, it's pretty slim pickings out there, right? To b- see with the eyes of Jesus and to see whoa, there is a harvest and it is ripe. It is ready to go. All that is needed is for people to go out and to collect that harvest. Like for Jesus, that was it. The seeds have been planted. The harvest is ready. Just go out and bring them in. Just go collect them and bring them in. And that is his call for the disciples, calling them to pray, right? To say, to say like he says it in verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. It is his harvest. And what he calls his disciples to do is to pray for that harvest, right? To pray that it would be brought in. And so the call is there. Pray for the harvest. Pray for laborers. It starts with, I think, believing, okay, this could happen. I could see... I could see the people around me. I could look at my neighborhood and I could see those people in the way that Jesus sees them. I can look at, you know, the people that are at the mall. I can look at the people in my church family. I can look at people wherever I'm at, at my workplace, at my school, wherever I'm at, I can look at people and say, there's a harvest to be had here and to join with Jesus in saying, I'm going to pray that that harvest gets brought in. Like, I, I want to see that. I want to believe. I, I get cynical at times, and I'll tell you, like, I get cynical. I've talked to a lot of people about Jesus, and, uh, and I will tell you that almost all the time, it does not go great. I remember in, in college, we were um, doing, like, street evangelism stuff, and, uh, oh my gosh, it just, like, triggers me a little bit thinking about it. I mean, we'd go up to these poor people on vacation on the beach down at Pismo Beach, and we'd, you know, do you want to take this little survey? And we'd try to get there to talking about Jesus. Now, I've got all these mixed thoughts on it, but, I mean, the boldness that I had then of, like, okay, good, I'm going to talk to this person, and maybe they're going to believe. And I think over the years, uh, I've kind of stopped believing that, I don't know, that, that anyone's going to change their mind, that everyone, anyone's going to see Jesus the way that I do. And the thing that keeps my heart soft in this area at all is the fact that I actually do see it happening. And maybe that's my privilege as a pastor, right? But I see you guys out there talking to people, and I see people who are encountering Jesus for the first time, and they're seeing, okay, and I, it reminds me, there's a harvest that's out there. And it's not always the people that you think, right? It's not always the people that like, okay, that's the one that's going to begin to see Jesus. It's often, it's the person, it's like the last person that you think, okay, that, that one, no, never. And that's the one that, you know, Jesus did that with, 
Paul, with Saul, turns him to Paul, and he, you know, it's always the last one. And so, anyways, the reminder is, okay, there is this harvest. So, do we want to see it happen? Do we believe? Just, like, it doesn't have to be a ton of belief, but that seed of faith that leads us then to pray for it. And that's all Jesus is asking right here, right? He's just asking us to pray that the Lord, like, to see the harvest, to long for it, and to say, God, I want to see that too. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations this week. It's just kind of like, I don't know. It's just kind of what God's been doing. But I've had a lot of conversations this week of, you know, there's something that God's doing. I think there's something on the horizon. I think that like our society as a whole, and I think for us as Creekside in particular, I think there's something that God has for us just around the corner. And I'm telling you, like, I don't want it to look like, um, okay, we, we grow numerically and we become like a big church. Like, I, like I, you know, I'm, I'm human and, and whatever, but I, that's not my heart for Creekside. Like, I don't, like, let's not get big and, like, let's just grab every Christian that we can and just get big so we can all be like, yeah, we worship in the same room together. My heart is, man, that God would begin sending us out and bringing people in. People would have encounters with Jesus that haven't ever had an encounter with Jesus before or that haven't had that in a long time. And it would begin to just be this, this group of people that's, that's out in the community, that's, that's blessing people, that's invi- inviting us, inviting people to join us in this community. We talked about uh, how beautiful community is. And the, the thing that I love so much about that is community is such a beautiful thing, but it's always, it's a gift that's meant to be shared, right? And we invite people in to that community, invite people to share the good things that we found. And so stopping and praying, God, bring in uh, people for the harvest. Bring in people, um, touch hearts, move in hearts. Okay. So Jesus, the only thing he's calling his disciples to do here is to stop and pray. But here's where I think it gets even more interesting. What happens in the very next verses? The chapter, chapter differentiations are made up later. So what happens? Right after telling them to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, he does this. He called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then it lists the 12, and then down in verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, you know, and he gives them a whole bunch of instructions on what it means. So Jesus tells them cleverly, uh, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then what does Jesus do immediately after that? He sends out his 12 into the harvest, right? So he's teaching them, pray this prayer, long for this. I want you to see it and I want you to want it in the same way that I want it. Would you stop and would you pray and just, God, please, this has to happen. We want to see it happen. We believe it can, God, if you'll act, please do it. And then Jesus says, you know, they, you just picture them saying amen. And Jesus says, okay, you 12, you're going to go. I'm going to send you out. This is the first time that the disciples are called apostles. And the word apostle, the, the verb that he uses for send out there, that Jesus sent them out, is apostle. Like that's the, the verb form. So they are ones who are sent out. This is the first time they're called that. And Jesus is saying, there's this ripe harvest. Pray that God would bring laborers. And guess what? You get to be the start of this. You're sent out. You're the ones that are called to do this, to be the answers to your own prayers that you've been praying. And I just imagine, I, I feel, man, I feel so inadequate in this in particular. So I, man, let's, let's talk about your spiritual lives all day long. Um, let's do like worship services all day long. Let's do small group gatherings all day long. Very comfortable with all that. I love it. I thrive. When I think about what does it look like for us to mobilize as a church in a way that we're sent out as the disciples were, 
I have no, I, like, I have no idea. I have no idea. There's a few churches I can probably think of that are probably doing this well. I don't know how they do it, you know? This is one of those things where it's like, God, how? how? And I, I even look at myself, what would it look like for me? And specifically the things that he's calling them to are kind of freaky to me, right? Um, casting out demons, healing sick. I'm like, I don't know, Lord. I'm not that charismatic. Like, I, I don't know. And so I, I shy away. I back off. But just, just imagine, I mean, the disciples are sitting there and they're seeing Jesus do things like casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, all these things. Jesus is doing it. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I'm giving you authority. You guys go do it now too. They must have felt so inadequate. And it made me think this week, I, I, um, Francis Schaeffer is one of my favorite theologians. I love him so much. And um, he talks, he has this whole, he's got this great little book called No Little People. There's no little people. And he says, um, he says, think of Moses, the amazing things that God did through Moses, led his people out of slavery, um, through the Red Sea, right? All this incredible stuff through Moses. And he says, where did God start in working with Moses? He had him pick the most ordinary object in the world. He had him pick a stick, Right? And when Moses picked up that stick, he knew, okay, this is a piece of wood, right? It's dead. It's not alive. This is a stick. And so this is Moses' stick. And he says at some point it became God's stick in Moses' hand, right? And this is what Schaefer says about that. He says, consider, consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. God so used a stick of wood can be a banner cry for each of us. Though we are limited and weak in talent, physical energy, and psychological strength, we are not less than a stick of wood. How's that for encouragement, huh? You guys are all better than a stick of wood. But as the rod of Moses had to become the rod of God, so that which is me must become the me of God. Then I can become useful in God's hands. The scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. There are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. And the idea of consecrated just means like set apart for God, like saying, okay, God, this is now going to be used for you. And so he's saying in the same way that that stick of wood becomes powerful because it's God's stick that Moses gets to hold. He's saying, just take yourself and consecrate yourself. Like, God, I'm yours. Use me. And he says, then all bets are off, right? There's no little people. There's no big people. Just people that belong to God. And I love that. And so God sends his people, pray for the laborers, right? But then he sends his people as the laborers and they go and they are the ones that just go out, man. And they do what God's called them to do. And this is, this is honestly, this is startling to me. It's difficult for me because you look at what's in the preceding passage and you see Jesus doing all, like chapters eight and nine of Matthew is just this laundry list of Jesus doing insane stuff. Like just crazy, raising from the dead, healing the sick, casting out demon stuff. And then you have this, send Lord, send, like pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. And then he sends his laborers into the harvest. And then in chapter 10, what do you see the disciples doing? It's the exact same thing. And Matthew is being really intentional, deliberate about listing these things in an identical way. I want to show you, um, this is not like, but it's just showing everything in chapter 10 is what the disciples did. Everything in chapters 8 and 9 is what Jesus did. Healing a leper, healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, being opposed by the world, raising the dead, teaching and announcing the kingdom of God. This is crazy stuff, and it's just, it's just put out there. Like, okay, Jesus does it, shows them what it looks like, announcing the kingdom of God, and then he says, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray that God sends laborers into the harvest. Then he sends his laborers into the harvest, and what do they do? They do the same thing that Jesus did, and it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about, and this is where I get insecure because 
I'm not doing the miraculous stuff, guys. I'm just telling you. Like, it's, it's hard for me um, sometimes to, to, you know, casting out the demons and whatever. Now, um, I've seen God do stuff like this through me, through groups of people I've been with. I mean, I'll tell you, like, elder meetings, we've prayed for people with, like, pretty intense sicknesses, right? And, and it's, it does not look like, you know, channeling something. It doesn't look super epic for us, but it looks like some faithful people praying really diligently, and then we've seen God, like, miraculously heal. Like, miraculously, miraculously. So, I've seen it happen. Like, I've, I've, I've had, like, demonic encounter type stuff, and it doesn't look like, um, you know, the exorcist or anything like that in my instances, but, like, I've seen God heal and deliver people from that. So there's, there's, there's versions of this that I've encountered. I have friends that, man, like see it in the most extreme sense, and I believe their testimony and everything. So all I'm trying to say is I feel inadequate, but I don't feel that like my adequacy should stop me from it, right? Like I, I believe that God can do the supernatural. I believe there's nothing that God couldn't do, and I, th- I believe that he's given his followers authority to do all these things. And so the excuse of I'm just not that good at it, or I'm kind of intimidated by it. I don't think that's a good excuse for God. I think Jesus intentionally showed his disciples, these are the kinds of things, and then he says, okay, what does it mean to be a disciple? You're just going to do the same things that you saw me doing. And yes, it's terrifying, and yes, it's big, and yes, you're not going to know what to say to the atheists that you're talking to, right? You're not going to know what to say when you encounter these different things, but, but, just, but just go. Just be faithful. Just do it. And you'll bumble, and, and, and you'll stumble, and you'll fall short and everything else, but you're better than a stick of wood, and God can use that, and so the call is there. And that, that call, man, that call to be these harvesters is, is just so vital. Like, it, we miss it, I think, but it's, it's not that subtle, right? I was saying how, you know, God's shouting about himself throughout the entire scriptures, calling people to himself, but it's not that subtle. Jesus, when he came to his disciples, the first thing he says is he's calling them is he says, hey, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? What do you think it means to be a fisher of men? It means we're going out, right? We're, we're bringing people in. We're gathering people in, especially as they use nets back then. You're gathering people into something. He was deliberately doing things like this to train them to do the things that he did to go out to people that are lost and hurting and bring them in. And where does he end, Jesus end the whole thing with the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, right? We miss it, and we make being Christian, and we make church about something different, but it is not that subtle. It's just everything that Jesus was about. Every assumption was that, hey, you're my followers, you're my people, and I'm with you, and I'm going to use you. You're not small, you're not little. We make church into something different. I remember um, when I was a kid, we, we, my family and I, we traveled to all 50 states. And it was, um, it was amazing and it was awful. I mean, it was like our minivan was never the same after all that. And, uh, and just hours and hours and hours in the car. But one of the places I remember, we went to the Field of Dreams. And it was, I think, in Iowa. It had to have been. It's just full of corn. And so you go and you travel to the Field of Dreams, um, which I understand is a dated reference. But, like, um, there's a little baseball field there surrounded by corn. And so we went and, like, you know, you could play a little baseball there. Brought home a little container of dirt from the Field of Dreams. It was amazing. Like, literally making money off of dirt from a place. But, um, you know, you think of it, and in the Field of Dreams there, it's like a, it's a little tourist destination. So when you're driving through Iowa, there's not a whole lot to see. But, hey, we'll create something for you to come see. They took something that was meant to be a cornfield, a harvest field, and said, okay, let's make it into instead a tourist destination. And I, I kind of wonder if that might, isn't a decent parable uh, for the church in some ways. And, and, you know, not us. We're great. We're awesome. But, I mean, 
you think of Jesus looking out at the, field, at the people around him and saying, this is a field that's ripe for harvest, right? It's meant to be producing. You're meant to be laborers going out and bringing people in. And maybe we've kind of like become agro-tourists a little bit where the church turns into this place of, hey, come hang out, come be comfortable, come enjoy it in this different sort of a way when what, when what Jesus is calling us to is saying, hey, I'm a farmer. I've always been a farmer. I'm about growing these crops. They're ready. Just go get it and bring it in. This is what I've designed you for. So what does it look like for us now? Um, this is where I want to leave us this morning. What does it look like for us right now to do this? Um, I, as I said, I think it literally could look like going out and, and casting out demons, healing sick people, raising dead people. Like, I believe there's no, there's no, I used to believe maybe those things were done. I don't believe that at all now. I think that God is, is doing those. Like, to me, it's, it's indisputable. God is doing those things now. So, so maybe, man, some of you are, are like, yeah, I do that every day. That's amazing. Um, maybe some of you are like, okay, I feel bold and I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to go do it. That's awesome. Um, I think the bottom line is, it's asking, it's asking, what would, like, if Jesus was me, what would he do? So sometimes I think we look at what Jesus did, and we say, I'm going to do the things Jesus did, right? So, you know, go find a well, and sit beside a well, and see if you can talk to a woman, or something like that. Like, it, it's less about, like, directly imitating the things that Jesus did, and it's more about saying, okay, Lord, I'm here. I live in Rockland. I have uh, my wife and my two daughters, you know, I have my, my job, the way that I spend my days. I have the neighbors that I have. I have, you know, so just look at all that and say, okay, Jesus, if you were me and you lived here in my house, here in this neighborhood, here with these family members, what would you be doing today? And I think that, that is the call. That's the real call. And I think that leads us into places that are miraculous, right? Because as we're doing that, right, we find people that are, like, demonically oppressed. I believe that's all around us, and we just don't have eyes to see it. But it's all around us. And so, well, as we're going about being a blessing to the people asking, what would Jesus do? Would he go talk to that person? If you're even wondering, yep, he would. He would go and talk to that person, right? And as you're there, you might find yourself in a weird pos position. This happens to me all the time. It's when I'm there, it's when I put myself in an uncomfortable spot that the weird stuff happens, and God does stuff that's even weirder still, right? And he shows up, and he provides, and he empowers, and all those kinds of things. But it's just looking at daily life and saying, okay, Jesus, if you had all my unique skills, all my unique quirks, all my unique situational stuff, what would you do? And then, and then just, just go do it. Just get in there. Just get in the mix. I, I grew up um, in, a, in a rural setting, rural town, and, uh, and, you know, I was kind of like, we, we didn't have, we had like some vineyards, so we'd do that, some of that stuff, but all my friends lived on these um, farms where hay was like their thing, and so I did a whole lot of bucking hay when I grew up, but I wasn't like taught to do it as a kid. I would show up, I'd get like offered up to my friends like, oh, hey, Mark will help you guys buck the hay, and uh, dude, it's, it seems like it would be easy, but it's like you get embarrassed a little bit at first. I, at least I did. Um, so you get the hay hooks, and you're trying to, like, put them into the things, but they're, you're glancing off. You're hitting yourself in the leg. Um, you've, there's all this stuff about marrying bales. Some of you guys know what that is. And not, but you're stacking it and just start way. You're, you're working together for it. And I was, like, awful at it at first, but it was like, okay, I'm in there. And the people taught me as I was doing it, right? I didn't take a class on bucking hay. I just did it. And I think that's all harvesting is, right? Is it's just getting in there. And, hey, this, this food, this uh, this product, this, this harvest, it has to come in. Let's work together to make it happen. And as we go, I think is how we learn. And, man, I would love to see us be that group of people 
It's just saying, like, you know, if I, I think of the gospel community that I'm a part of and just think, like, hey, how many of us are really good at, at uh, kind of seeing people in need and bringing in the harvest? There might be a couple, right? But most of us would be, like, not that good at it. I don't totally know what I'm doing. But we could look at each other and just say, hey, let's learn together, right? Let's take a couple steps and let's just try together. Let's pray for each other. When we know there's a conversation coming up. When there's, we know there's an opportunity to bless somebody come up. Let's pray together. Let's support each other. Let's do things side by side and do it together. I would love to see Creekside be that kind of a place. So this is the whole idea. It's just being a blessing. So I want to um, just close this time. This is one of those um, passages where there is a... Uh, there's a command in the passage that we can actually obey right now, which is pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. And, um, and I want us just to obey that command right now and pray together. Um, so the band's going to come up and they're going to um, lead us in a song after this. But let's just take a minute now um, to just, just sit. And I, I'm going to do like a little bit of guided prayer with you. So let's just kind of sit in silence and we're going to pray. And, and he, remember he says, pray earnestly. Okay, so let's make this not just a passive, awkward, quiet moment in the service, but let's make this a time where we're just praying that the Lord would send people out. So let's just start by asking Jesus to give us his eyes to see the harvest that's there. And so ask that of the Lord right now. Lord, help me to see the harvest that's all around me. And just let the Lord bring to mind uh, some images in your mind of maybe your neighborhood maybe your family, maybe your desk or workplace at work, maybe the Zoom calls that you're on, the school you're a part of or connected to, sports teams, other activities. Just ask the Lord to bring to mind, Lord, help me to see the harvest in each of these places. let's each of us just beg God earnestly to send out workers into that harvest. Don't even think about yourself right now, but just ask, Lord, please send workers into that harvest. To the neighborhood that I'm picturing, to the workplace that I'm picturing, to the school that I'm picturing. Would you please send people to bring in that harvest that you say is ripening? And we've been talking locally now, but now just picture in your mind people in places where they've never heard about Jesus at all. People in Indonesia, people in Papua New Guinea, people in Muslim nations. Let's ask the Lord, beg the Lord earnestly to send workers into those harvest fields too. And now together, let's remember there are no little people and no big people. And let's just 
believe that for ourselves, we are not small in God's eyes. Let's just offer ourselves to him. And so just do that. Just picturing yourself as a, as a priest offering himself to service to God. Lord, use me however you want to. Let's just do that right now from the, the depths of our hearts. I'm just going to ask right now. I'm just going to ask the Lord to bring a, a picture as we, as we consecrate and offer ourselves to the Lord to be his laborers in that harvest. I'm just going to ask the Lord to just show us a, a picture of what that could look like in the week, month, year ahead. We'll just give each of us a little picture of where and what that might look like. I am so thankful that you are a shepherd that is walking in this world amongst your sheep. Lord, where would I be if you were not my shepherd? Lord, and I thank you so much that you are a farmer who has been preparing a harvest and gathering it in. Lord, I would be withering on the vine if it were not for you pulling in this harvest. Lord, we here, I believe, are the first fruits of that harvest. Lord, you've grown us, you've shaped us. Lord, we see, we know how good you are. We've tasted it, we've experienced it. Lord, here is this small army. Lord, this group of just beautiful people sitting in this room, watching on the live stream, joining us at different services. Lord, this small army. And Lord, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, Lord. Lord, some in this room, I think, have tasted and seen your faithfulness on the field as we go out. But Lord, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, we see, we know our sins have been forgiven in you. There's no guilt or condemnation that can hold us down because of you. We receive only grace and love and favor and blessing through you. Lord, that is amazing. Lord, we are so well protected in you. There is nothing that we need to fear because of you. And so, Lord, thank you for that forgiveness and that grace as you laid down your life to redeem us. And I pray, Lord, that that, that reality, that message, that good news of that kingdom would burn so deeply in our bones, Lord, that it would spread out, that we'd look at the world around us and see nothing but a harvest field that's ripe because you have been planting seeds. You have been pouring down rain. You have been tilling soil. And Lord, may we believe that that harvest is ripe and may we believe that we are nothing special, but we are everything in you, empowered in you, sent by you. What a gift, what a blessing. And I pray that it would be true in our lives, in our church family, in our neighborhoods. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.